Amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Edgar. Well, friends, how are we doing tonight? Excited. Okay, good. Paul's excited. All right. Well, grab your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 4. You're with us here this morning. We already got part one of what it is I believe the Lord has for us. If you were not able to be here this morning, don't worry. There's enough here that you can feast on what the Lord has for us, even if you didn't get part one. But if you got part one, you're already ramped up and and ready to go. As we look at John 4, we dive into this text. I believe that Jesus wants us to go the the next step deeper in this. We've been looking at Jesus' words today on Him being the bread of life and the living water that He gives to us. And I want us to come back to two key verses. We looked at three this morning. These are two of the same ones in John 13 and 14 and John 35. Now I'm counting verse 13 and 14 as one verse, one thought. We're going to get these two key thoughts out of this passage that we've been saturating ourselves in today. And I believe that Jesus not only wants to take us deeper into this, it's not just more knowledge to have, but I think he wants to uncover something even more for us that, that can give victory in our hearts. So we're going to have an advanced course of what we talked about this morning. So look at this text with me, John 4, 13 and 14. This is the first of the two key thoughts that we're going to look at, just two. And this is the first one. Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We heard that this morning multiple times over and over. Brady, you're going to read it to me again. What's the point? Well, there there is something powerful here. There is something that is at the very core and the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's so foundational that if we don't get this, we will not experience joy. We will not experience power. We will be frustrated. We'll get our eyes fixed on things that the Lord doesn't want to have our eyes fixed on. And we will not be able to accomplish what he's called us to. I'm convinced that so many times there's people who live the Christian life, they're trying to be obedient to the Lord, and they're frustrated, they're discouraged, because they're trying to do it in their own strength. They're trying to do it by their own might. And they they understand somewhat in their head that they can't save themselves from their sins, and so they say, Jesus, I, I, I need your grace and your mercy to save me from the pit of hell. But But now that you've brought this salvation to my heart, This holy life that you've called me to, this life of being a disciple, I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to do this out out of my strong work ethic. I'm just going to grit my teeth and do it. I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and go forward. And friend, I'm not trying to like put you down, but, but you will fail. I will fail. And Jesus never asked us to do this in our own strength. And and Jesus is trying to lay a foundation for all those who will come after him and say, hey, hey, there is a source of life that you desperately need, and it is found in me. Oh, it weaves together with John 15, and in the weeks to come we'll, we'll look at that, what it means to remain in him and for him to remain in, in us. But it's tied here in this living water and the bread of life. Now let's, let's back up a few verses. Look at verse 7 with me of, of chapter 4, reminding us of what took place. What brought Jesus to say this to this woman? What was happening? When the Samaritan woman came to draw water... Jesus said to her, will you you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and also his sons and his livestock? See, Jesus asked this woman for a drink of water. And then Jesus ends up offering her living water. Now, when Jesus said this verse about living water, it wasn't this statement or this proclamation in a vacuum. It came in real life. It came to a real-life person who had real-life hurts, who had real-life habits, real-life hang-ups, and it was in the midst of what she was experiencing, and Jesus came right there and asks her, would you give me some water? And then offers this living water. Now, I want us to to go a little bit deeper than we did this morning and think about this woman and what might have been going through her mind. In verse 11 and 12, we kind of see this thought that the woman asks, how can you help me, Jesus? let's Let's just get this straight. First of all, Jesus, you are the one who asked me for water. You're the one who who asked me for water. I was here minding my own business, and you came to me, and you asked me for water. We're not supposed to be talking like this. I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. I'm a woman. You're, you're a man. This, this should not have been taking place. And second of all, Jesus, you didn't even have a bucket to draw the water with. I came with my jug. You had nothing to draw water with from this well. And so she's saying to him, you want to give me living water. Remember, you, you asked me for water, and then now you're wanting to offer me something. You don't even have the tools to get the water with. And third, Jesus... Who do you think you are to suggest that this water is not good enough? I mean, it was good enough for for our forefathers. It was good enough for his sons. It was good enough for their livestock. We've been using it over and over and over again. This has been a a wellspring of, of life for us and for our people over and over and over. And you're suggesting that you've got something better than this? What's wrong with what I have? This is the very real life situation that Jesus walks into. Sometimes we read a a verse like John 4, 13 and 14, when Jesus is proclaiming that he will give living water, and we think it's almost like this presidential proclamation that goes out, and it's just kind of void of any real context. Jesus is speaking this profound, powerful truth right to a woman who's in the midst of very real pain, very real life situations. That's the picture we see. This is what we find with this woman and what she most likely was thinking. We saw this morning that Jesus was offering this living water and bread of life, and we're going to talk about that. But we also need to see tonight that this offer didn't come in a vacuum. It came to a real-life situation. Jesus now calls her out. And after he offers this living water, he calls her out and he says, "You, You want to go tell your husband? Well, I don't have a husband. Well, you're right. It's kind of a cute way to answer that. Jesus is thinking, you... You don't have a husband. You've been with many men. You have many husbands. And then then she's now interested that this one who is offering living water, who doesn't even have a bucket or a jar to, to draw water with, he's now speaking things to her that only she would know. Who else would know this? She knows that he is reading her mail, that, that he knows the secrets of her life. 
when the woman sees the miraculous knowledge that Jesus has for her, she becomes open to Jesus as a prophet. She wasn't open to Jesus as the Messiah yet, but she was open to Jesus as a prophet of a good teacher, of someone who had some wisdom. Then there's this dialogue. It's this dialogue that takes place that can feel a little bit strange. It's this dialogue where where she begins to talk about where she worships, and Jesus begins to talk about what worship should be about. You can see it in your text there, verse 16 through 20. And she's saying, well, well, well we worship on the mountain, and then, and then you Jews are saying we should worship in Jerusalem. And, and she's trying to draw all these reasons why what he's saying won't make sense to her, because remember, she's a woman, she's a Samaritan woman, he's a Jew, and and you must know something, good teacher. You have wisdom beyond what I can understand. But, but now what are you going to do? Tell me i got to worship the way you do? Or tell me that I don't have these outward things right? And, and then Jesus speaks some truth and says, basically, it's, it's not where you worship. The time is coming where you will worship in spirit and truth. But you worship what you don't know. The hope we have is, is in who we know. And then she musters up this thought, well, well, I, I, know, I know something. I, I know that the Messiah is coming. She's drawn upon all of her Sunday school knowledge of everything that she's found. Well, I, I at least know this. And, and then he says, I am he. I am that Messiah. I am the one who gives living water. I am the bread of life right before you. The significance here is Jesus is saying, hey, hey what you're needing to do is not look at where you worship, but the relationship that you have to who you worship. Who is it that you're worshiping? And Jesus calls her out for her lack of knowledge and then reveals that he is the Messiah. And the Messiah is standing right in front of her. And Jesus says, it's me. It's me. I am the one that you speak of. And it's all about the relationship that you have with me. I am right here. Now, the woman didn't understand everything. But she was touched enough, she was perplexed enough, that she went to the village. She went to the townspeople, and she couldn't shut up about it. She couldn't keep quiet. The woman couldn't keep quiet about what Jesus had revealed to her. Verse 28 through 40, that's what you see there. Now, here's what intrigues me. How many of us would have responded the way that this woman responded? She's minding her own business, doing her own chores, going to the well that she goes to every day to get water, and this Jew shows up, this man shows up, asks her for something. Shouldn't have asked her. She's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. He's a man. She's a woman. And then when he asks her for water, then he ends up offering her something. And and it doesn't even make sense because it doesn't look like he has the tools to deliver on it. But then he begins to see things in her and and speak things. And then he's saying, I am the Messiah. And she's so caught up in the encounter that she has with Jesus that she goes and she tells everybody her experience. But how many of us would have had that encounter and we would have been offended at the piercing knowledge that Jesus had of our sin? How many of us would have been offended and and we would have been so upset that he would shed light, how embarrassing that he would speak it out loud? She could have been resistant. She could have played the victim card 
well, I'm a lowly Samaritan woman, and, and I didn't have much choice, and, and, and I'm in a day when, when I can't make my own way, I can't earn my own things, and so I have to depend on other men. And she could have had all these excuses and all these things of how she was a victim, but she didn't respond that way. But she had an encounter with Jesus that when her heart was opened, it was miraculous, and she couldn't keep quiet about it. You see, when your heart is open and you truly encounter Jesus, hope is given. She had hope like she never had for the very first time. She had all the reasons to be discouraged, all the reasons to be oppressed, all the reasons to be down and to be broken. But when she encountered Jesus, he called her out on her sin. But when Jesus calls us out on sin, he always offers hope. He didn't condemn her for the sake of condemning her, but he was offering hope to her. If, if you take this living water, in you there will be a, a fountain, a spring, welling up even to eternal life. She didn't get it all yet, but something happened. Friends, there's more on that, but, but I, I just need to stop for a second. I, I'm having a hard time thinking straight right now because I'm just blown away again of what Jesus did. This morning, right over here in second service, there was... There was a gal who came, let me see if my friend's here, she's not here tonight, came for the very first time to Grace Point, and she accepted Jesus for the very first time. As she prayed with my wife, Carrie, uh, Carrie said, expecting her to say yes, have you ever accepted Jesus as your Savior? She says, no. And she said, Carrie said to her, well, would you like to accept Jesus now, anticipating her to say, well, no, not now. And she says, well, yes. And so Carrie pressed forward and, and led her to Jesus. It wasn't her, but it was what Jesus was doing. And this woman had an encounter with the truth. Friends, every time that Jesus' truth is presented, it doesn't come back void. If your heart is open, you can have an encounter with him. You can experience him in a way that you can't keep quiet about it. Now, I, I have to ask a question that's not very fun, okay? I wonder why so many people today who call themselves Christians have so much trouble witnessing for Jesus. I wonder why so many people who call themselves a follower of Jesus have nothing to say currently about Jesus. Could it be that they have no current encounter with Jesus to speak of? I mean, if, if, if I haven't had any encounter with Jesus in the last seven days, then, then maybe I should be quiet. I'm not trying to get you to feel guilty. I'm not trying to get you to feel upset. But, but friend, this woman could have been upset. When Jesus called her out on what was going on in her life, and, and we should not go, well, i, I got to work harder, i got to press in, i got to do more. Oh, I knew I'd feel guilty that I didn't have my devotion this week. No, no. Just go to Jesus. Jesus, I'm a forgetful, flawed person. Do you have anything to say to me today? I want to hear from you. And out of an encounter with Jesus, maybe it'll be like Peter and John in Acts. We can't help but speak about the things that we've seen and heard. What is it that you can't help but speak about? She didn't have all this knowledge. She didn't have the pedigree. She was from the wrong side of the tracks. She didn't have all the understanding. She didn't get it all figured out. She didn't have this great track record. And she didn't have all this history of being freed from her hurts, habits, and hang-ups yet. She just said, I encountered Jesus. This is the one who knew things about me that no one would know. Could he be the Messiah? There was hope in her sight. Jesus said, I give living water. Soon he will say, I am the bread of life. Now look at the byproduct of this woman's encounter with Jesus, number five. The townspeople first listened to Jesus because of the woman's testimony. 
They first listened because she wouldn't shut up. They just listened because she was giving her account of what took place. But something happened. They listened a little too long. They heard a little bit too much. But after spending time with Jesus, apparently Jesus hangs out for a few days. We see that in the text, verse 40 through 42. And, and they encounter Jesus personally. And they saw him clearly for who he was. And they too now have an encounter with Jesus. The text tells us, they said, well, we first listened just because of what you said. But now we have personally heard him. We've encountered him. And now something is happening in us. Friend, the living water is not only a life source for you. But when you take in the living water and it saturates your entire being. And it begins to get out on you. You can't help it. You don't have to act like someone else. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be... Uh, Josh McDowell, you don't have to be any other person and, and act like, you just be who you are. And when Jesus calls you to open your mouth, you just speak about what you have seen and heard. And it will spread like wire, wildfire. I don't mean that you have to be excited about every moment of life, that you never have to have any woes or problems. It's quite the opposite. When you have a Jesus who is constant in your life, when things fall apart, there's a witness there like no other. You don't have to have all the answers. One of my favorite things when someone asks me a question and I don't have an answer to it, I say, I don't know. Let's study that together. Because I'm not trying to make disciples of me. I want to make a disciple of Jesus. Let's go to Jesus and ask him together. Let's, let's go to him together and see that she had something to talk about. It impacted everybody around. This is good. This is something for us. But let's look at the second and last of these two key verses I want us to see tonight. It's John 6.35. We saw it this morning, but I want to go deeper. I want to go to the, the master's course of this. I want to go to the 201 of this. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Once again, let's back up. Let's remind ourselves what's happening here. Verse 27, Jesus says, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. John 6, 28. Then they asked him, what? must we do what must we do to do the works god requires jesus answers the work of god is this to believe in the one he has sent so they asked him don't miss this what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you what will you do for us jesus our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat that's what moses did what are you going to do for us jesus I love this. The followers of Jesus are saying here, we want this bread that doesn't spoil. We want what you have for us, but, and we don't want to waste our life finding something else, but, but what are you going to do to prove it to us? They just saw Jesus feed 5,000 people, and now they're saying, oh, what's required is that we believe in the one that he has sent? What sign are you going to give me, Jesus, that you're the one he sent? In essence, he says, I am the sign. Jesus gives the requirement of God, which is to believe in the one he has sent. Verse 30, that's number one there. That's the requirement. He says, here's what it's asked of you. To have this, this bread of life, what must I do to have this bread of life? You need to believe in the one which God has sent. The followers then ask him, well, what will you do for us that we might believe in you? Moses gave our forefathers manna. What do you have for me? What is it? That you will do to prove it to me again. 
Now, Jesus' response is so key for them, and I believe it's key for us tonight. Jesus says, hey, I am the miraculous gift. I am the sign standing right before you. But even as you have seen me, you still don't believe. Friends, how many times do we feel like if we could just have one more miracle, one more miraculous sign, then our faith problem would be healed? How many times do we think, if if I could just have one more specific answer to this prayer, then I wouldn't doubt anymore? Jesus is saying, I am right in front of you. I am your proof. I am the reason that you should believe. I'm here with you. And yet, even in your presence while I'm with you, you still don't believe. What's happening here is Jesus is is showing, remember in John 1 when we saw this, Jesus lowered himself, became fully God and fully man, came to this earth, and, and people misunderstood Jesus. And they rejected Jesus? Friend, if you are a soldier for Christ, people are going to misunderstand you and reject you. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just telling you the facts. If, if, if the world didn't understand Jesus and they didn't receive Jesus, why would you think that you're any different? Are you that much better off than Jesus? And here, he's trying to give them the living water. He's trying to say, I am the bread of life. I am the source of food for you. And in a minute, we'll see how people still reject him. But they're saying, show me the goods. Prove it to me. The proof's in the pudding. What do you have got for me? I am the pudding. I am the one before you. I am standing right before you. When Jesus tells the woman at the well, (laughs) it's not about worshiping on the mountain or going to Jerusalem. It's not about how often you go to temple. It's about knowing the one in whom you worship, and I'm right here before. She hadn't heard anybody talk like that. She began to encounter a personal relationship. Friends, in our generations, not one, but our generations, the body of Christ has done us a great favor in emphasizing a personal relationship over religion. There's many men and women who've who've contributed to that. But my fear is, out of hearing this over and over and over again, we've watered down what a personal relationship is, and, and we've made it to this paragraph prayer when Jesus says, Well, yeah, that should be in your vocabulary when you start to follow me, but a personal relationship doesn't end after I I come into your life. It's a daily daily talk. It's a daily understanding. He wants to reveal who he is to you tomorrow. This King of kings and Lord of lords is going to be in your life tomorrow if you want him. And he's, he's going to be doing things in you and around you if you want to see it. He wants to speak to you, and whenever he speaks, he creates. We talked about that the last couple of months. He wants to do that if if you will allow him to. He'll call you to obedience and give you the power to do it if you allow him to. And Jesus is talking about this relationship. He says, I am that gift. I am the proof that you need. Jesus is saying, obey me, love me, follow me, and I will feed you. Don't look for the sign as much as you look for the giver of the sign, it is me. Now, as unusual as those were, as usual as those were hanging around on the fringes who were upset, doesn't matter where you're at, you always find a group of people who were upset. Have you found that out in life? <laughs> doesn't matter what arena, what place. If you're somewhere and nobody's upset yet, just stay five more minutes, someone else will be upset. There's always someone who's blessed with the gift of being upset. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's you. We're not, none of us are exempt. We can all be part of the solution and the problem. This is a human thing. But here Jesus is offering this amazing gift, and and let's look what takes place. Verse 41. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about 
him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? This doesn't make sense. I know who he is. I I know his history. I've seen him. This is silliness. How can he make these claims? It threatened them. It threatened the security that they had built up. It threatened the things that they were banking on. It threatened their understanding of what they needed. And Jesus was in the midst of people who did not want to receive him. For some, right in the midst of the gift and the sign they had just asked for, the Jews began to grumble to one another about what Jesus said. Think of this. They didn't receive Jesus, even though he was offering to them, with grace, what they desperately needed. Not just the woman at the well, not just the followers, but all those who are on the fringes hearing. Oh, how we don't want to be in the sandals of those men and potentially women who didn't want to receive Jesus. They would rather grumble than to receive his gift. But maybe more often than we'd like to admit, we do find ourselves there. We find ourselves caught up in the frustrations of this world or the frustrations of man or the frustrations of of leadership somewhere. and, And we begin to get fixed on that. And Jesus says, I am right here in front of you. Why are you not seeing the gift I'm giving to you? I am the source of life. What are you feeding on? Feed on me. I, I have to say this again. Some of you have heard me talk about these five questions. We've done a couple of them together. Don't worship these questions. That's silliness. We worship Jesus. There's only one way to the Father. It's Jesus. And these questions are not Hal Perkins' questions or Brady's questions or Oprah Winfrey's questions. It's Jesus' questions. He asked his disciples. I don't think they're just some kind of arbitrary questions. I think they're very intentional. But, but if these five questions aren't lighting your fire, I don't care. Just get in relationship with Jesus. It doesn't matter how it is. There's a thousand ways to do this, but Jesus is the only way. But how am I going to emphasize relationship with him? But here's why it's the best way that I found. When I focus my attention on who he is first, it changes everything else. When dad's in the room, doesn't matter what comes, dad's here. When I begin to, to look at what he's doing right now, even if he's not doing what I want, I can see he's active somewhere. And guess what? I need you to help me with that, and you need me to help you with that, because Jesus doesn't just move in our own circle, he moves in other circles, and I can praise him for what he did in your life, and in your life, and in your life, and something begins to happen. And then I begin to to see him. Some of the guys who've been hanging out with me, I've I've told you this story before, so Pharaoh, you can put up seven or eight, or however many times you've heard this, but maybe some other haven't heard it. A number of years back, we, my house, we bought a Honda Odyssey silver minivan. I didn't know how many silver Honda Odyssey minivans there were in the world until I owned one. And I went out to a parking lot, and and I was in a parking lot of a store, and I was trying to find our van, and I discovered there's like a gazillion of these everywhere. I had to put something on mine to make it distinguish from the others. They're everywhere. Now, I didn't notice it before, but as soon as we took that, that minivan home, they're everywhere. Well, what happened? Did everybody go out and buy it on the same day that I bought it? No. But when I had a silver Honda Odyssey minivan, my eyes were trained to look for that, and then now all of a sudden I saw things that were there all along, but I never never noticed before. 
The same thing is when I get into practicing of his presence and looking for what Jesus is doing, I begin to say, <laughs> you're working there and there and there, and then I've missed it before. God didn't just start working because I started paying attention. I started paying attention, and he helped me see that he's been working all along. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm standing right before you, but don't miss it. But my grumbling, my complaining, my frustrations, I'm not, this is not just a talk to say, you know, everybody be nice and neat. Everybody gets along when we sing Kumbaya and it helps. No, 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 no. I mean, that has some value for unity or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying food for your soul. So you don't starve to death. So you're not malnourished. So you're, you're spiritually not malfunctioning and, and hurting yourself and others around you. We have to focus in on who he is. Five. Jesus calls them out and calls them to stop their grumbling and once more tells them who he is. Verse 43 through 51. You can see it in the text there. Jesus gets specific for one more time. He says, hey, hey, I am the bread of life. I am your source of life. I am the Messiah. I'm the one here for you. Stop grumbling and receive me. What do we do with this? How could we live this out? It's one thing to read it. It's one thing to understand it. It's one thing to meditate on it. But it's a whole other thing to say, Jesus, I'm listening to you. What are you calling me to? Here's a few questions maybe that might be helpful for you. They've been helpful for me this week. Are you living out this same question that the woman at the well asked? Jesus, how can you help me in this? If we're real honest, sometimes when we look at specific situations in our life, it's a loss of a job, it's a complication in a relationship, it's this feeling that we have deep in our heart of inadequacy in ourself, it's the pain of, of the grudge that we've held for decade upon decade upon decade of the wrong that was done to us. And Jesus, I know you can save me from my sins, but what can you do in this area? I mean, you came to me first, Jesus. And you asked me to be obedient to you. Now you want to you wanna give me living water? You think you can help this? Are we asking the same questions as the woman at the well? Jesus, I don't see any evidence that you have the tools of what you need. Letter B, change that on your outline. I made an oops. I can see that you put, don't have the tools needed to do what's required. We know in some cases we can see that he does, but... Sometimes he shows up at the scene in our life, and it appears that he doesn't have the tools. He doesn't, it's not possible. It seems like it's impossible. Jesus, what could you do to help me? And maybe we're asking the question that the, that woman was asking. Jesus, what's wrong with the way I've been living? I, I've confessed my belief in you. I'm a good God-fearing citizen. I go to church. What's wrong with the food source that I've had, the water source that I've had? It's worked for my grandparents worked for my parents, it's worked for their kids, it's worked for me, it's worked for our livestock. You want to speak of this life source? Jesus wants to know, are we willing to trade that in? Are we willing to trade it in for what he has for us? Jesus wants to call you out of your lack of knowledge of him and he wants to reveal more of himself to you. Are you allowing Jesus to reveal to you who he is in your life today? That's why I love that question that we just talked about. He will coach you. He will discipline you to look for him, to help you see him more clearly. Jesus is calling you tonight. It's not about where you worship or how you worship. I would even argue how often you worship. It's do you know the one you are worshiping? Oh, it's contagious. It'll become a daily thing. 
Do you know me? Do you seek me? When is the last time that you have had an encounter with Jesus? I don't want to bring any false guilt. That's not of the Lord. If it's false, it's not of the Lord. I'm not trying to get you to doubt yourself. But I want to whet your appetite. I love remembering the camp meetings that I grew up in. Day after day after day, week after week after week. Sometimes I feel like I've been in more camp meeting services than anybody alive. That's not true, but I feel that way. I love the memories deep in my mind of precious saints who would get excited. And for them, they would pull out a hanky and they would just start running around the room. I don't even know what the significance was, but I knew that meant it was good. Sister so-and-so would take her white hanky and wave it like this, jump out of her chair, and I would stop drawing on paper when I was a kid and go, whoop, getting excited in here. Watching old people run who hadn't run in decades and they were getting blessed. It was a great thing. And I'm not putting that down. I'm not making fun of it. It was an authentic experience. But God, help me. Why would I want to look back 25, 30 years ago of what Jesus did when he's doing it today? He did it right there. Somebody accepted him for the first time. And friends, what I'm trying to say is, if I can get so glassy-eyed and longing for the good old days, could I get a hunger for the good God, who is the God of the old days, who's the God of the day today? Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I'm springing up a well in the desert, the Father's telling us. It's happening right now. When's the last time that you or I have had an encounter with Jesus? I knew it. I should just go have my devotions more. I'm going to read 17 chapters of the Bible tonight before I go to bed. Pull myself up by the bootstraps. I'm going to work harder. Oh, sit at the feet of Jesus. Let him gush the living water over you. I don't know if I can do it. I'm confident you can't, but he can. He says, I want to be your source of life. For some of us tonight, it's that thought that Jesus wants to press on for us. Peter and John couldn't shut up about what they had seen and heard. Could it be that Jesus is wanting to reach circles of people around you by you speaking about the intimacy that he's calling you into yourself? Number four, are you seeking a miraculous sign more than Jesus himself? Not all of us, but some of us, we get so preoccupied with seeing a sign or a wonder or a work or an answer that we miss who the one who is giving that sign and wonder and answer. And when he's standing right in front of us, could we say, you are the hope for me. Maybe tonight you find yourself like the Jews who are on the outskirts. They witnessed everything, but they were caught up in grumbling about what they don't understand. Are you caught up in the temptation that the enemy brings to all of us? He tries to get us off track in every way we possibly can. But what if you and what if I, I'm in the boat with you, would make a covenant to choose I'm going to stop complaining at all sources. Well, Brady, what I'm thinking is right. Well, good. Just choose to focus on Jesus. Now, this is dangerous. Both my girls are not in here, so I'm going to tell a story on this, okay? Sometimes, Jesus just calls me to shut up. Has he ever called you to shut up? Can we say that in church? I don't know if I can say that or not. Well, I just said it. Always. Good. You don't. I just did. I'm going to get myself in trouble. I felt Jesus called me to shut up. One of the things I felt like he was telling me to do is, Brady, I want you to speak with more gentle and kind words to your girls. I think I even shared with some of you a week or two ago. And it was a declaration that Dad had made. If you pick out your clothes the night before, there's no arguments on 
what we're going to wear the next day. So it was the next morning, and I heard some bickering and arguing over what we're going to wear. Everything in me wanted to walk into that hallway and say, hey, 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 what did I tell you? Told you so. Dad was right. But I shared this story with you a couple weeks ago. I was a little excited because the Lord caused me to shut up and just be quiet. And stop grumbling and complaining. The temptation didn't go away. Guess what? Since then, I found ten more things that I'm right about. If people would have just listened to me, it would have gone better. But Jesus says, you know what, Brady? It's not about when you're right. It's about me shaping you into what I want you to be. Sometimes there's a greater good that's happening. See, if, if I justify my complaining or my grumbling or my, my, my critical spirit or my quickness, if I justify it, I'm not saying there's never a place to, to do that, but, but friends, we speak a whole lot faster than we need to sometimes. Me, I don't know about you, but I, I do. Jesus said, just, just, just to stop. Not just to make things smoother for everybody, but, but so we can feed on Him. Could I miss the bread of life because I'm so caught up in that? Well, in our last 120 seconds, how do you want to respond to what Jesus is saying to you tonight? Here's three suggestions. Don't take them as your own if they're not your heart. Maybe. Imagine if your heart would respond this way. Jesus, I'm willing to give up the good well water for the greater living water you have for me. Some of us need to get a healthy level of dissatisfaction about what we've been feeding on. What our life source has been and say, Jesus, I want what is better than what has just been okay. Could, could your response to Jesus tonight be, Jesus, I want you to clear away my ignorance and help me see you for who you really are. Jesus, could you help me see that I don't have it figured out? I've been a leader. I've been a teacher. I've been a strong layman for decades. But Jesus, you are God. I am not. I'm hungry to know more of who you are. The more of you I see, the more I see that I don't understand everything. And I'm not discouraged by that, but it gives me hope because you want to give me more of you. Could that be your response? Jesus, could you respond, I want more than the things that you can do for me. I want you. I don't want to just seek what you could do for me. I want to seek you, the God behind the action. Finally, what if this would be your response? Jesus, I want to trust you when I don't understand. Instead of grumbling to others, I want my attitude to be one of trust. See me. Jesus, I thank you that we're not just spouting out phrases and words and talks about some history lesson of what happened centuries ago to just pique our curiosity like some documentary on Netflix. But we are allowing your word to wash and renew our mind with not just exceptions in your word, but examples of what you have done and what you are doing in this moment. Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here tonight pressing into your word. He's saying, you are wonderful. In about every way I can imagine tonight, we lifted up how wonderful you are. Jesus, you are moving. 
in my new friend in my sister's life, you are the Savior for her today. Jesus, you're speaking to us about being our source of life, about being the food that we, we chew on, that we feed on. Lord, would you make it clear to me and to my brothers and sisters right now, what would it look like for me to be obedient to you, Jesus, myself? What would it look like for me to be obedient, Jesus, in my family? Jesus, what would it be like for me to be obedient with other Christians around? What are you calling me to? Want me to go to the village and talk about you? What what do you want me to do, Jesus? Jesus, what are you calling me to be obedient in in the lives of people, to the best of my knowledge, that don't know you in the world? Lord, as we come to the end of our time, I want to confess to you that while I'm thankful, while I'm appreciative and grateful, while I'm beginning to see it, I don't have much confidence that I can do any of these things that you're asking of me. Lord, I don't have much confidence for my friends that they can do any of it in their own strength. Jesus, we are so desperately dependent on your power. Would you give us the want to? Lord, for my friend who's here tonight says, it sounds good, I want to want to, but I don't want to. Lord, would you give them the power to want to? Would you give them a hunger and thirst for you, Jesus? Lord, for these specific acts of obedience that you're impressing on our hearts right now, not because of me, but because of what you're doing, Lord, would you remind us that you not only can conquer sin, death, and the grave, but you give that resurrection power to us today, tonight, for us to be obedient. Thank you, Jesus. You are food for my soul. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.